0: Well, I'd like to begin by asking you to read with me our church mission statement this morning. I took this right off of our website, and so let's read it all together. Bethel, becoming Christ followers who grow, connect, serve, and tell, grow in our personal relationship with Christ, connect with others in biblical community, serve in our God-given ministries, and tell others the good news of Christ. As we look at those four commitments of a Christ follower, I want to ask this morning, which one do you think is the easiest for a church to neglect? And I think that it's the last one. I have a dear pastor friend who is now retired from traveling ministry as a Bible teacher all across this country. And after being in multitudes of churches over many years, he said this, many churches are no longer emphasizing evangelism. And isn't that sad to hear? See, unless we are telling the good news, we really have no purpose for existing, do we? I came across this statement last week and I thought it was very interesting, I've Never quite heard it put this way, but it says, a church without a mission is like a blunt pencil, no point. And how many want to belong to a church like that? That is like a blunt pencil and therefore has no point. Uh, How many of us want to have a Christian life like that? That is like a blunt pencil and therefore has no point. And we always have to ask ourselves this question. What do we do to stay on mission? To never get to the place where, as a church and as Christians, it is okay for us not to tell the good news. Well, this morning, a big part of the answer to that question is what we discover as the Apostle Paul finishes his conclusion in the introduction to the book of Romans, because we come in verses 14 through 17 to the great I Am statements of the Apostle Paul. And what he does is he makes three very strong claims. Let's read them together this morning. I'm a debtor, I'm ready, and I am not ashamed. As long as those three attitudes characterize our church, hear me carefully, we will never be complacent. But when we lose those, watch out. In fact, if I lose those, watch out. If you lose those in your life, watch out. They are the key to always being a church and a Christian who very much wants to tell the good news. Now this morning I want you to open your Bibles back to Romans chapter 1 and as we come to the end of the introduction before Paul begins the main body of the letter to the Romans, He shares with us these three very life-altering, very life-changing commitments that He had and that every Christian should have. And this morning, as we look at the I Am statements of the Apostle Paul, let's ask the Lord to give us insight and understanding and then beyond that, great conviction and motivation. Let's pray together for just a moment, shall we? Lord Jesus, how easy it is to become complacent. How easy it is to sing as we just did about the wonderful, glorious gospel that we have and how it's for all the world and every nation. And yet somehow to become content as a church and as individuals with not sharing it. We thank you for the heart of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the great way that you used him. And help us now to gain insight as to why, and then to ask you to drill into our hearts the same convictions. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Notice with me verse 14 of Romans 1. Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Here is the first commitment of the Apostle Paul. I am under obligation to all people. Now, as the Apostle to the Gentiles, in verse 14, Paul was describing his mission field. And what he says here was the standard way of describing all races and all classes within the Gentile world. Greeks versus barbarians divided people by language and by culture. The Roman Empire had adopted Greek as the common language of the day. And so it spread over the entire empire. If you could not speak Greek, you would have been considered uncivilized. One of the things we learned when we went down to Guatemala is when the Spanish conquistadors showed up in Central America, and they met the Quiche people in Guatemala. They said about them that they had a dog language because it was a rough-sounding language. Things haven't changed much, have they? That's the way people view those they see as less than themselves. And then wise versus foolish divided people intellectually. The Greeks were very proud of their educational system, their philosophy. They gave us the great philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. Whenever I go to a high school and I hear about student athletes, that comes right out of the Greek gymnasium, where they believed in training not only the body... But also the mind. And so anyone without that kind of training was considered simple or foolish. Now here's what Paul knew. Paul knew how people see each other is not how God sees us. Paul knew whatever these classifications that God sees all people exactly the same. God sees us only as sinners. Do you want to know the truth about the city of Rome? The philosopher Seneca said that the city of Rome was a cesspool of iniquity. And the writer Juvenal said the city of Rome was a filthy sewer with the dregs of the empire. How many think that's something worth bragging about? Come to our fine city and swim in our cesspool. Really something great to be bragging about. By the way, how many were swimming in that cesspool in the city of Rome? All of them were, weren't they? The Greeks and their high-mindedness, the barbarians in their slums, all of them were swimming in the same cesspool. If you know anything about the life of Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, he struggled for a year with God's call on his life to be a pastor. He was on his fast track to be a very high and respected medical doctor in the city of London. And the tipping point after a year of struggling was this very issue. He saw amongst the medical people the same sins and despair that he saw on the streets of London. If you've ever been around a doctor with a foul mouth, You know it can be just as foul as anybody on a football field or anywhere else. And after a year of struggling, Martin Lloyd-Jones said the gospel is the answer. And he committed his life to the call of God to preach the gospel to everyone. Now Paul says that was his mission field. This cesspool in the city of Rome that everyone was swimming in that he wanted to reach for Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that he says this was so important to him that he was obligated. He says, I am obligated. Very interesting word. It means to be a debtor. Now there are two ways that you can become a debtor. One is you can borrow from somebody and then you have to pay them back. Don't raise your hand if you're a debtor to a bank and you have to pay them back. We've all been there and many of us are still there. But there's a second way you can be a debtor. You can receive something that is intended for someone else and what you have to do now is what you have received, you have to deliver to that other person. Do you know the FedEx deliverer has this second kind of a debt whether it's the UPS deliverer or the FedEx deliverer, they are given packages by their boss that they are intended to deliver to someone else. And you know what a very good day for a driver is? When at the end of their shift, they arrive at the shop and their truck is what? Empty. Because they've just charged their debt... And they've delivered all their packages. By the way, how many are happy when the FedEx driver gets your package to you? How many feel a little otherwise when he doesn't? By the way, did you read about the mailman who did not deliver all his mail? They showed up at his house and there were loads of mail bags at his house. I read about that in the paper a number of years ago. How many think that mailman got fired? Do you know it is a felony not to deliver mail? And is a very, very serious offense. Now here's what Paul says. That's what I feel about the gospel. God commissioned me, he is saying. I'm a debtor. I am obligated to bring what I've been given to those who desperately need it. Let me ask us this morning, does this apply to us as well or just the Apostle Paul? What do you think? Well, I want you to read with me a statement of Jesus said to the disciples in the context of their ministry. It was meant not only for them, But every Christ follower, you know this very well, Matthew 10.8, let's read it together. You have received without paying, so give without being paid. Once you see this, you can never be complacent. You can never say sharing the gospel and witnessing is someone else's job. Once you see this, I've received the gospel and I didn't pay a thing for it, so therefore I have to give the gospel without being paid. It's my job. It's your job. And once you see this, you'll never be satisfied in a church that doesn't tell the good news. You'll either have to start a ministry of telling the good news in that church, or you will go elsewhere. Because you will have to be a part of a place that is telling the good news. I'm under obligation to all people. Now notice Paul's second commitment. I am eager to preach the gospel. Look at verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now I want you to fasten for just a moment on that little word eager. It comes from a root word that means heat. There is a related Greek word to this root word from which we get our word thermos. And you all know what the purpose of a thermos is. A thermos is intended, if it's got a hot beverage in it, to keep that beverage hot. Do you know this root word also means passionate uh, or passion? So what Paul is actually saying here then is this, I am passionate to preach the gospel. Because of this obligation that God has laid upon me, I am now passionate... About preaching and sharing the gospel. Now, I have a confession I want to make to you this morning, and um, when I make the confession, I don't want you to boo or hiss at me. Okay, so promise that you will not do that. So here's my confession to you: I'm not passionate about hockey. Okay. Now, please don't don't boo me, don't hiss me. I have to say, I like hockey. I grew up in a hockey town. In fact, uh, I won't go into this, but my mother actually had a part in naming the Muskegon Lumberjacks. Uh, She attended one hockey game in her life, and yet she helped name the team, So, but I won't go into that. But I never learned to skate well. I, I think I have weak ankles, and I liked other sports. So hockey never got into my blood. But I am passionate about swimming. I know how to swim. I like to swim. Swimming is good exercise. It refreshes me mentally. And so I would say I'm passionate about that. How many think if you're not passionate about something, you will do it if you don't have to? I didn't think so. If you are not passionate about something... You will not do it if you don't have to. You know what? Duty will only take you so far for so long. Without passion, you will eventually quit. You know what Paul is telling us? It's the same thing about ministry. In fact, here's what Paul is teaching us. Obligation plus passion is what leads to action. Obligation plus passion is what leads to action. But the opposite is also true. No obligation and no passion leads to no action. May I ask us this morning, which group are we in? Obligation plus passion will lead to action. No obligation and no passion will lead to no action. As a Christian, which group are we in? Last week I shared with you a comment from last week's passage from the co-founder of Dallas Theological Seminary where I attended, W.H. Griffith Thomas. One of the great mysteries of life that he was never able to teach a class because he died before the seminary actually opened, but he was co-founder of the seminary. And this week, in the passage, he said something absolutely profound. It will change your life if you truly believe it. Look what he said. These two confessions, I am debtor, I am ready, are at the heart of all true work for God. If you are at work for God, rather than complacent or passive, it is because these two convictions have gripped your heart. I am obligated and I am passionate. And if we ask this question, why is it that some Christians make a difference for Christ and other Christians do not, Right here's the answer. Obligation plus passion leads to action. Does this describe you? Show me what you feel obligated about and what you are passionate over, and I will show you what you do. We all know that's undeniable. It's absolutely undeniable. Show us what we are passionate over and what we feel obligated about and you will always show us what we do. Let me ask you this morning a series of questions and you give me a yes or no answer. Can you witness by teaching a Sunday school class? Yes. By listening to verses in Iwana, By assisting in vacation Bible school. By reading the Bible to your children. By singing on a praise team. By serving on an everyday evangelism team. By participating in an adult Bible fellowship. By going to with a mission team to Guatemala by giving a gospel tract to somebody, by serving on the youth leadership team, by inviting a friend to church, by bringing your own family to church, by supporting a Christian camp, by supporting missions and missionaries. Let me ask you another question. Why do some people do those things while others do not? And the answer is right here. Obligation plus passion is what leads to action. Show me what you feel obligated over and passionate about. And I will always show you What you do. Paul says, I'm under obligation to all people, therefore I'm eager to preach the gospel. Now, notice the third one this morning, number three. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Now, the fact that Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel, embarrassed about it, Suggest to us that there were times when he was tempted to be ashamed or embarrassed of the gospel. Why would that be? Well, we don't know exactly what Paul looked like or what his physical features are, but I want you to listen to a, um, a, a statement about him based upon church tradition. Listen to this. According to tradition... Paul was an ugly little guy with beetle brows, bandy legs, a bald pate, a hooked nose, bad eyesight, and no great rhetorical gifts. I just feel a whole lot better after reading that, to be honest with you. Do you think people in the city of Rome... The great capital of the Roman Empire might be tempted to dismiss a guy like that? You mean they might be tempted to, to mock him and laugh at him and, and just to push him aside? I'm sure there are times, in fact we know, he tells us in his letters that there were times he was trembling because he wondered how am I going to be successful in cities that I'm called to? By the way, do you know some years ago, Christianity Today did a study of the reasons why people are afraid to witness. And what they said was the number one reason why people don't witness is fear of rejection. In other words, we don't share the gospel as we ought to because we are afraid somebody might not like me. And I'm sure there are times when Paul felt exactly that way. How did he overcome his fears? How do you and I overcome our fears? I said to our group yesterday before we went out, there's something about it. I'm nervous every time we go out. I've been doing this here at the church now for almost 15 years. And yet I still feel a certain nervousness. How do we overcome fear so that we can share the gospel? Well, I want you to notice the answer. For the Apostle Paul, it was his knowledge that the gospel is filled with power. Look what he says about the power of the gospel. Look at it here. In verse 16, he says, "...the gospel has the power to save everyone who savingly believes." And the gospel has the power to make people right with God through saving faith. And Paul knows there's nothing on earth that can do that like the gospel. Therefore, there's nothing to be ashamed or afraid about. Now let's look at the first one for just a moment, and then we'll look at the second one. Look at verse 16. For just a moment, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Look at that phrase, power of God for salvation, and see it today in a new way you might not have seen it before. The word power here, we get our English word dynamic from it. And something that is dynamic has an intrinsic ability to affect change. So when Paul here talks about the power of God, he's talking about an intrinsic ability to affect change as God works that ability in and through the gospel. And then when he says that this power of God is for salvation, The idea of for there is not just simply that the gospel is made available, but that the gospel actually results in salvation. It issues in salvation. It is the power of God resulting in the salvation of men and women and boys and girls. You know what this is saying to us? The gospel doesn't just make salvation available. It can actually bring it about. God so effectively works in the gospel that He can actually cause people to trust in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Now, as I thought about this this week, I was reminded of a song that we sing in our church on a regular basis... If I was ahead enough of the ball, I would have had us sing this song earlier in the service. But this song teaches us this truth that Paul is seeking to help us understand here in verse 16. Let me share with you two verses out of this song. It is the song, I Know Whom I Have Believed. And the chorus says, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Look at verse 2. I know not how this saving faith to me He did what? Impart. Nor how believing in His Word wrought peace within my heart. What is that saying? That God in the Gospel so works so powerfully That the very faith we need to believe, He imparts to us. And then verse 3, which we have sung many, many times here in our church, says it in a very similar way. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word. What's the last phrase? Creating Faith in Him. With as many times as I have sung these verses, I've never related them to Romans 1.16. The power of God resulting in salvation. God actually imparts the faith and creates the faith in us, we need to believe. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the "what? gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Folks, that's power. The very faith we need to believe, we have often sung, reflecting this truth God imparts, God creates, as Jesus is revealed in the Word. Yesterday was our first day out visiting. One of our teams went to a young college student who we met at Fall Fest five months ago. We had no idea how ready she was for the Gospel. She attends a Bible-believing church here in our town. I know one of the pastors at that church, but she had no assurance of salvation. I was not with the team that was there that day, yesterday, But when they came back, they said she just drank in the gospel. And as they shared it with her for the first time, though she had been in church for a long time, it all came together. And she found her heart being open to the Lord. Next week, this same team is going back to do a Bible study with her. Our newest trainee, one of our newest trainees is a is a Gideon. He's from another church. And we had to say to him yesterday, now it doesn't always work like this. I said, I'm not sure I've ever seen it quite work like this on the first day that we're out. But here's the point. There are times it does work like this. There are times it does work like this. And we prayed yesterday before we left, Lord, lead us to someone in whose heart you are working. And this young college student, a junior at NMU, was the one he led that team to. And then notice the second reason why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel has power to make people right with God, through saving faith. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written in the Old Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. How can a holy God accept unrighteous people into a relationship with Himself? How can people in a city like Rome swimming in the cesspool of iniquity ever come to know a holy god and jesus died for their sins says the bible and he rose again for their justification and god accepts people who will believe based on the righteousness of christ and people who had no peace with god at all can now know in their heart that they do that's the power that god unleashes In the Gospel. A few weeks ago, I told you about cannibals on the Fiji Islands who were converted to Christ. The story that I shared with you so intrigued me that I decided to do a little research and I discovered that originally Fiji were called the Cannibal Islands. There are still remains there to this very day of their past in cannibalism, let me just share one of those images with you today. This is called Cannibal Cave. And the reason they know these people were cannibalized is they can tell by the butchering scars on their bones. And if you were to say, what kind of people did this to them? The Apostle Paul would say, these are the barbarians. These are the barbarians that I'm talking about. But he is also saying the gospel is for them. And the missionaries who arrived and witnessed, and the one said, I had to bury the Parts of 80 people that had been cannibalized saw them converted by the gospel and later saw them in love for one another sitting together around the Lord's table like we will do in just a few minutes. That's a powerful gospel, amen? But then let me share with you someone else. This man on the screen I think we would all agree he's anything but a barbarian. This is C. Everett Koop. He died five years ago this month. He was Surgeon General of the United States. He was one of the most illustrious doctors in American history. He pioneered surgical techniques for handicapped children. He was an incredible Incredible man. We would call him one of the highfalutin Greeks. But when he was 32 years old, he decided to go to church. And I want you to listen to what he said. I was just going to observe. Yeah, right. Try just going where the powerful gospel is and think to yourself, I'm just going to observe. This is what he wrote. I was fascinated by what I heard. I understood that we are all sinners unable to satisfy God's standard of righteousness and justice no matter how hard we try. The preaching from the pulpit made it all clear that the essence of Christianity was not what we did, but what Christ had done for us. I understood the meaning of the crucifixion. I understood the meaning of Christ's sacrifice. I understood the meaning of divine forgiveness. Most of all, I understood the love of God. This spiritual awakening had a profound effect on my life and influenced everything that happened thereafter. Would you agree with me? A gospel that can change cannibals and an illustrious doctor like this is a gospel with no shame. It's a gospel with no shame. And once we understand that, all the reluctance in the world that keeps us from being involved will fade away. And we'll say, I must be involved. I must be involved. Do you see why these commitments are the key for a church? Never becoming complacent or passive. The key for every Christian as well. Obligation plus passion leads to action. And no shame in the world can keep you from that when your heart is so gripped. Let's read again together. And let's affirm them from our hearts to the Lord. Join me. I'm a debtor. I'm ready. I'm not ashamed. Let's pray together. As our hearts are bowed and Our eyes are closed. May I ask this question? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from being actively involved in the gospel ministry? Earlier when I asked those questions and asked for yes or no, I think we all said yes to all of them. Multitudes of ways that we can be involved in sharing the Gospel. And I know the answer to what may be keeping us back. It's we don't think we're a debtor. We're not ready. And we're ashamed. And those are issues all of us have to deal with God individually in our hearts over. And which one is it with you? Or more than one? Whatever it is, let the Holy Spirit put His finger upon it and deal with it with Him. And as you pray for yourself, would you pray for our church? God, help us. If we ever get to the place... Where we do not say, I'm a debtor, I'm eager, and I'm unashamed. The day, God forbid that should ever happen, we will become a mission field and no longer be a mission. And so pray for us. Pray for yourself. Pray for me. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our church. Father, thank You that You pour out blessings on those who have the same Heart and passions and commitment that you have. And the songs we sang earlier came very easy to our lips. The Gospels for all creation, every nation, Christ's salvation. But it's so much more challenging to answer the call, and to commit ourselves. So may we do that today, knowing that as we do, the power of God is in the Word and in the Gospel, and His blessing will always go with it. We love you today for what you've done for us. And now freely we have received. Freely we give. For Jesus' sake.